You know, sometimes I dread sitting down to record these podcasts, and then later, normally right after recording or the day after when I'm thinking about what I said and how I felt about it, I realize this is an incredible opportunity to share some of the stories, some of the insights, some of the feelings, some of the happenings around this trip. And so today I bring you a collection of stories from the 8,000 kilometers so far. We're on a mission from God. Oh my God, okay, it's happening. All right, Buster, what do you do? I'm sitting here in central Nicaragua in the capital, Managua. Sadly, for recording this podcast, I had to turn the ceiling fan off, so it is currently about 100 degrees, 100% humidity, and incredibly hot. Nicaragua is the country of no hot water in showers because why the hell would you want to take a hot shower in this hot country? Seriously, every single shower I've encountered so far, including in El Salvador, just a little bit to the north, has had no option, just one faucet for turning on the water, which is one temperature. Cold. Nicaragua is also the country where I realized I really only need a relatively flat bed and a fan to be happy at night. I really only need a relatively quiet space, a relatively flat bed, and a relatively functioning fan in order to sleep a beautiful, a wonderful night of sleep. The fan not only helps you suffer through the heat of central Central America, it also keeps the bugs off, for the most part. Two blessings in one. And the sound tends to isolate all the other random sounds through the night, like random people playing gospel music at 12am, like the last person in the hostel walking in at 2am and stumbling around and having to open every single zipper in their bag next to their bed for 20 minutes, no reason why, and then the roosters starting at 5am. Nicaragua is also the country of kind people and interesting stories just like the ones I've been encountering all throughout Central America. You know, when I started this trip, so many people took the time to pour into me what a bad idea this was, how dangerous it was going to be, how incredibly unsure every single moment was going to be, how I basically was going to be in space without a spacesuit every single moment of the trip, as far as the level of danger to myself and to my things would be. I was physically ill at the time of starting this trip because of all of the negative input from the people that I care about and that care about me. And yes, most of what they say, most of what they tell you, most of what, what the news shows you is true. But at the same time, I will never forget the security guard outside of Santander in Guadalajara who helped guard my bike while I took money out late at night because it was a bad idea to be taking money out late at night and he took pity on me and wanted to help me. I will never forget the security guard at a gas station toting his well-oiled, shiny, sawed-off shotgun in Nicaragua who spoke to me mostly with his eyes over his mask which obscured his mouth in broken English and some Spanish about his life so far. His lack of a wife, but his ability to enjoy his own close family, and how he would wish everyone would have a wife because he feels like it's something that he is lacking. About the sweet lady in the hostel in northern Guatemala, with whom I struck up a conversation and by the end left with a twinkle in her eye and a smile that said thank you. About the security agents between Honduras and Nicaragua who could not get over the fact that I had ridden my motorcycle all the way from the United States through every single country that they've heard are so dangerous all the way down to their country. 
to the half-sarcastic, half-tickled, half-seemingly drunken laugh of the lady in the tiny booth who needed to check my COVID paperwork in order to let me into the next step of the process of entering Nicaragua, who insisted that I needed a paper in color, not black and white, and just laughed and laughed when I said that I had printed it in black and white to save money because that's how I was raised. True, I am already starting to forget the individual faces and the individual events of so many of the beautiful moments shared between me and the people of the countries I've visited so far, but Overall, a beautiful memory remains of the many encounters and the people that I've been able to meet along the way on this trip. And so, here's a collection of stories. My very first night in Mexico, just after I had crossed the border, I sat in my hostel, the empty hostel just south of the border of Mexico named Coyote Cows, all by myself, with stuttering internet and a sick feeling in my stomach that I had made a grave, terrible, embarrassing, foolish mistake in setting out on this journey. There was a surreal feeling to that first night, because it wasn't just a mistake, it was a mistake that had placed myself miles and miles and another country and a border and COVID paperwork to be able to get back in, away from my home, away from my world, away from what is known to me. Sometimes when we make mistakes in life, we're only one step away from returning to the path of correcting ourselves. My mistake left me many, many miles from the path, many, many miles away from where I quote-unquote should be. That was a sickening feeling. And in that sickness, I sat in my bed, dehydrated and starving, eating my last granola bar and sipping my last bit of water, knowing that eventually I would have to move myself from my safety of my bed, watching Netflix and YouTube and texting people, trying to recreate a little bubble of safety in my little hostile bed. I knew I would have to leave to search out something to eat and something to drink, or else I would be very sick the next day from refusing to take care of myself. And so... Eventually, I closed my laptop, I stood up, and I wandered down the empty hallways, down the staircase, and through the cafeteria to where the kitchen was. And that's where I met Thomas. Thomas was in the kitchen, busying himself, taking care of something or other. A good worker that he was, always up to something, even when there wasn't something necessarily begging his attention. When I came down, Thomas was as surprised to see me as I was him. Thomas was also the first person that I had the chance to speak Spanish with, so as I was stuttering through and repeating again and again, trying to get correctly the simple statements of hello, good evening, what's your name, and here my name is Jeremiah, Thomas realized that I probably needed help. And so Thomas, with very kind words, offered to cook me something. Now, of course, I'd be paying him top dollar for this meal, but Thomas, with a kind voice, offered to cook me something, offered to make me dinner, and said that he would help me with anything that I needed because he was in charge that night. So I sucked up the $18 bill for the most expensive spaghetti I'd ever eaten in my life, asked Thomas to make me the spaghetti and meatballs with one beer, and then returned 20 minutes later, just as it was being finished, to eat in the empty cafeteria with Thomas in the kitchen busying himself. After a few minutes, we started talking, and at first I was sitting on the bench facing away from where he'd been working in the kitchen, and I would turn around and peer over my shoulder to talk with him when appropriate, and then turn back to my food. Eventually, the conversation became consistent enough that I just turned in my seat, moved my plate over so that I could eat and talk at the same time. After an hour, Thomas had helped me feel more settled, more centered, 
more in tune with the reasons why I had begun the trip in the first place, talking through life, talking through marriage, talking through school, love, parents, brothers and sisters and careers and dreams and life, talking through borders, talking through nationalities. Tomas had an immensely settling effect, not just the meatballs and spaghetti, the most expensive ones I've ever eaten in my life, in my stomach and the beer and the water that I was able to consume, but also his words of normalcy, his kind and slow manner, his laughter, and his willingness to share with a complete stranger a little bit of his life, even though I spoke very broken Spanish. Moving a few hundred or maybe thousand miles south, I find myself in Guadalajara, on the fifth floor of a beautiful hostel in the beautiful city, with a beautiful kitchen, where I was cooking pasta and some sautéed vegetables and something simple I had been able to purchase from the store. There was another guy in the kitchen cooking something of his own, and so we were sharing the stove and cutting boards, and he even let me borrow a little bit of his oil since I couldn't find any in the shared kitchen. Eventually we started talking, and in my broken Spanish we started talking about what we were doing in our lives. Me, on my motorcycle, traveling down to the point of Argentina, or at least as I say, I hope to make it to Argentina. And him, a swim instructor looking for work, trying to get a job as a swim instructor, but also working at the hostel and other places in order to make ends meet, while also dreaming of living in and working in Canada. As we both continued to chop and saute vegetables and finish our meals, eventually we kind of became friends over the course of the 20 minutes or so or 30 minutes of cooking, and at the end he told me that before I left the city, I had to try torta ahogada, which is a special Guadalajaran street food. He asked me if I wanted to go the next day with him and another friend, and we would go and try it. Now normally, the introvert that I am, I would say no to something like that and just spend the morning on my laptop, working or just binging YouTube in my own tiny little world, closed off from the world around me. But as I am trying to improve my life and as I am trying to do things differently in this trip, I said yes. So the next morning I find him, I ask him when we'd like to leave and if his friend is coming and he tells me the friend is too hungover to come and so it'll just be you and I. And the place that I found is actually about a 30 minute walk so it'd be better if we could take your motorcycle. Now I may have a couple thousand miles of riding experience with this specific bike, but I have a couple thousand miles of riding experience by myself, not with another person on the back. And if you have ever ridden you know that it's very different when you suddenly have another living, moving, independent thing on the back that thinks and moves of its own accord. But as I am trying to do things differently, as I'm trying to challenge myself, I said, of course, let's take the motorcycle. And so it was I found myself asking Angel to wait a second as I positioned the bike for the most direct route leaving our parallel parking position into the tiny cobblestone street with cars zooming by, knowing that I would have to turn as quickly as possible and then right the bike with enough speed so that we gain some momentum, which then will keep the bike upright. I then remove the rear panniers of the bike and have it just bare, naked, myself, and then Angel on the back. Boy, was that first turn nerve-wracking. I thought for sure we were going to hit another car, get hit from behind, or just fall over right away. And I could tell by the way that Angel was both silent and utterly still that he thought the same. Eventually, about 30 minutes <laughs> of a nerve-wracking ride through Guadalajara later, we arrived at a tiny little food cart on the streets of Guadalajara to try torta ahogada. After about 30 minutes and some of the best horchata I'll ever have, and some delicious torta ahogada. Angel and I were laughing as we got back on the bike, said a small prayer to God, and then started the long ride back to the hostel. 
Once we arrived, we both thanked God for the safe arrival and agreed that we didn't want to do that again. After that, pretty much all the riding that I've done has been easy compared to a 180-pound human on the back of my motorcycle. Fast forward a few days, and it's nighttime in Guadalajara, and I realize that I need to pay for an extra night at the hostel, and yet I have no cash. Now, being as I was already late to pay for my hostel, and I don't like to ask favors of people, I got it in my mind to go out at night to take money out from a bank, from a cajero, from an, from an ATM, even though it was nighttime, even though it was Guadalajara, and even though I was a gringo on a big, expensive motorcycle in a city that I don't know, where everyone told me not to go out at night. But... I didn't want to ask a favor, I didn't want to ask for special treatment, and so I got on my motorcycle, put in the bank, Santander, and headed 15 minutes away to get money out. When I arrived at the place where the GPS told me the bank is here, I couldn't see where the bank was, so I had to pull sharply off, park on a sidewalk, and start to look for the bank. As I pulled off sharply and shut the bike off and kicked the kickstand down to start looking for the bank on the sidewalk, I took note of my surroundings, as I like to do when I park my bike, to understand what's around me, who's watching me, and whether this is a good place to park. Immediately I noticed the security guards striding directly towards me. They often do this, it's very clear, I'm quite used to it, normally I just wait to hear what they say, and then move along with my life according to whatever they have to say. And so, I fiddled with my earphones, fiddled with my helmet, until little old Tommy was close enough to tell me, you can't park here, no se puede estacionar aquí. Once it became clear that I had no ill intent, that I was very respectful, and that it was rather funny listening to me trying to speak Spanish with him after a full day of working, Tommy began to smile and understood that I was not anything dangerous to him, that I was not trying to impede his night watch duty on that stretch of sidewalk. I was merely a lost gringo in Guadalajara doing something stupid, trying to take money out at night. Tommy immediately assured me that he would watch my bike while I went to take out money. And so I started to swing my leg up and over the bike, and that's when Tommy started telling me about his childhood. After a while, once we'd gotten through his childhood and into his adulthood, where we started talking about him moving to Mexico from El Salvador, I started to swing my leg up and over again to go take money out, just as he started telling me about the time when a drunken man had come by with a pistol and threatened Tommy, and Tommy had had to pull out his own pistol and stand all four foot eleven feet tall that he is and point his pistol at the drunk man until the drunk man got down on the ground and he was able to disarm him and then call the real police. Once we finished that story, I started swinging my leg up, up and over the bike to be able to go and get pesos when Tommy started telling me about another story. 15 or 20 minutes later of broken Spanglish, stories about life, stories about love, jokes about girlfriends, jokes about life, jokes about the times he's had to use his weapon. Finally, I was able to swing my leg up and over the motorcycle, say thank you very much to Tommy for watching my motorcycle while I took money out, walk past the homeless people sleeping in the shadow of the bank, take out my money, get back on my motorcycle, and return to my hostel with the memory of Tommy still in my mind. Fast forward a few thousand miles later, another country later, and I find myself in another hostel kitchen, searching through the scant pots and pans and knives, cleaning them again because nobody ever cleans them thoroughly, chopping up some vegetables, trying to figure out how to turn on the stove so it doesn't explode while lighting it with a lighter and burning my fingers in northern Guatemala. Now, if you stay in enough hostels, then eventually, hopefully, you'll realize there is either a whole fleet or some very committed single individuals who are making sure that everything is running smoothly. That is if you're staying in a hostel where things are working. Granted, there are definitely hostels where things are just left to break and left to be dysfunctional. 
But if you're staying in a place where people care, where people are attuned to what's going on and what's working and what isn't working, you will notice that there are people cleaning, there are people repairing, there are people bringing in fresh towels, there are people cleaning the old beds, there are people checking the bathrooms, there are people bringing in food, there are people washing dishes, there are people working behind the scenes and directly in front of you, whether you admit it or not. Something I began to notice as soon as I started this trip and started staying in hostels was that most of the travelers don't seem to notice the workers. They don't talk to them, they don't interact with them unless they must, they generally don't acknowledge them. And me being who I am, with the tendency that I picked up at a young age to seek out the less sought-out person in a room, I have begun to engage the workers at the hostel rather than the travelers at the hostel. You can only hear a Danish person's story about how wonderful their trip has been in Guatemala so far before you've heard it all. And I'm not saying this derisively, I'm not saying this in a demeaning manner, I'm simply saying there are more stories to be had than just the beautiful travelers sitting next to you. What about the people working? What about the people living there? And so I found myself making conversation with the lady cleaning dishes in a hostel where the people who are staying there are supposed to clean the dishes. And so I asked her, why are you cleaning the dishes? Aren't we supposed to clean them? As I was chopping my onion and my tomato to make my simple sautéed vegetables and pasta, my signature dish. She chuckled and explained that, well, nobody's doing them and someone has to do them for things to work, and so I do them. After it became clear that I was interested in an actual conversation and not just a few passing comments, she began to relax, open up, smile more, and share more about her life. Share more about her town she was from, just off the island that we were staying on. Share more about how wonderful it is that COVID has started to lessen, so tourism has picked back up, and therefore her town is able to survive because it lives off of the tourists that come through to share how wonderful it is to have the job that she has, how wonderful it is to be able to bring money home to her family, to share how wonderful it is to live in such a beautiful place as northern Guatemala, just south of Tikal, and on a beautiful lake in Flores, Guatemala. Eventually, somebody else came in the kitchen, someone interested in getting to know somebody else who spoke English, and broke in and started speaking English. This ended up finishing the conversation with the wonderful little Guatemalan woman, and therefore she silently finished up what she was doing and started to leave the kitchen. And just as she was leaving, I glanced at her, and we shared a small moment where her smile and the twinkle in her eye and the nod in her head said everything that I needed to know as far as, it was nice talking with you, and thank you. Thank you for seeing me. Thank you for talking with me. From that point on, began a habit of looking for ways to talk to the people who were working around me, the people who were making things run, oftentimes invisibly so. Everyone has their faults. Everyone has their flaws, and one of mine most definitely has been looking over the people who work in the background, and now I am trying to fix that by acknowledging them, thanking them, and appreciating what it is that they do. And so it is that I found myself in southern Guatemala, in Antigua, in a beautiful hostel, a little too beautiful for me, with no shared kitchen, and a lot of bougie travelers. As I sat hour after hour working on my laptop while people came and went for their many exciting plans to climb volcanoes and do yoga on top of rooftops and evening wine tastings. As I sat hour after hour working on my laptop while everyone came and went around me for their beautiful, wonderful, exciting, Instagrammable plans around me, the people kind of became transient because they would come and go. But my surroundings started to become more clear. The beautiful color choice of the design of the hostel, 
the beautiful openness and the airiness, the wood, the beautiful chairs and wooden tables, and the plants. I grew up in gardens because that was one of the only things that my father enjoyed doing that I could share with him. And so I love plants and I love gardening. And it is a habit of mine to stick my finger in a potted plant and check its status to see if it's dry, too damp, or just right. And so in the tiny little place where I sat on the beautiful little wooden table with the sun shining from above and the plants all around me, I started sticking my finger in the potted plants around me to check their status. And to my great surprise, and much to the difference of most of the potted plants I've encountered in my life, they were perfect. Not just damp, not just watered, but perfectly watered. Perfect amount of time between when they had been watered and when they should be watered again. The perfect dry dampness of a well-watered and well-taken-care-of potted plant. And this was one tiny plant, one tiny pot, out of hundreds in this hostel. An hour or two later, as I still sat there editing, I noticed a man walking around with gloves in his back pocket, dirt under his fingernails, and a hat that it looked like he'd been wearing for 25 years as it fit every single contour of his head perfectly. I watched him as he walked around and saw how he paid exquisite attention to every single plant, but barely seemed to see the people around him. And therefore, I knew this was the gardener. This was the man in charge of the beautiful masterpiece that is the natural things growing in this hostel. So eventually, when the moment presented itself, I asked him, ¿Eres la persona que cuida al jardín? Are you the person that takes care of at the garden? In my broken Spanish. He said, sí, with a little bit of a defensive, a little bit of wary tone in his voice. And I said, quiero decirte que todo parece lindísima y que todo parece perfecto. I want to tell you that everything looks so beautiful and perfect. And that is when I met Jose. Jose's face lit up. Jose's smile filled his entire face. And Jose wanted to know my name. After a few minutes of talking, Jose couldn't stop saying nice things about how wonderfully I spoke Spanish, even though I had said a total of maybe 15 words to him that I had practiced four times before speaking to him to make sure that I would speak clearly to him when I first approached him so he would know why I was talking with him. And we all know my Spanish isn't wonderful, just watch one of my videos to know it. But he could not thank me enough, and at the end, I understood why. He said, how wonderful that you speak enough Spanish to be able to speak to people like me. He said, thank you for talking with me. It is a pleasure to know you. And for the rest of the day, he would come by every five minutes while I was working on my laptop in the middle of the hostel, just to make another comment, just to talk a little bit, to mention to me that I really should find a wife and that I really should find her in Guatemala. And if I do find one in Guatemala, that she will go with me throughout the entire world and she'll be the best wife in the whole world. And that I really would love a Guatemalan wife and so on and so on. Until finally, he finished his shift, smiled at me once more, nodded and disappeared. I may never see Jose again, in fact, I don't think I ever will, but I carry the memory of his excitement and of his gratitude over the little Spanish that I spoke that enabled me to be able to see him and speak with him for the rest of my life. I'll carry that for the rest of my life. And now, today, in Managua, Nicaragua, in the center of Nicaragua, in a tiny little hotel just outside the city, next to a high school, nestled in some dry, barren-looking hills, I met the hotel owner, and her husband. It had been a long day of riding. It had been incredibly hot. I wasn't feeling great. I was feeling a little demotivated due to breaking things, due to tiredness, and due to loneliness. I parked my bike near where I thought the hotel was, walked down the street, 
and knocked on the door until somebody came and answered. Things played out as they normally do. Someone who realized I didn't speak much Spanish and therefore only spoke to me in small little bursts of words, mostly with hand gestures, telling me to sit down while I found the person who was supposed to be greeting me. I sat there and took in the small, but tastefully and well taken care of, and clean entrance to this small little hotel, while the husband of the lady who owned the hotel went searching for her in order to get me checked in. Eventually, a woman came down the stairs, stopped on the second to last stair, smiled broadly at me, and said, I'm so sorry, here I am. As she came down, she asked how I was, and... As is normal for me, I said hot and tired, which is pretty much the state of the entirety of this trip, and honestly could be the title of the book if I were to write one. Hot and tired, a man's search for clean underwear, coming soon to bookstores near you. She asked me where I was coming from, and I said Apostanillo, which is a little bit north, only three hours, and she said, oh, very far, and I said, oh, not so far from me, because I started in California. And that's when... The same thing that's been happening for the last 100 or 200 or 300 miles here in Nicaragua started to take place, where it dawned on the person in front of me that there in front of them was somebody who had ridden through every country to the north of them from very, very far way up in the United States. The further I go south, the broader the eyes of the person in front of me get when they realize what's standing in front of them. A crazy gringo with dirty underwear, hot and sweaty, with a smile on his face, underneath that terrible beard of his, who's ridden 8,000 kilometers down to where they are. Eventually we got talking, chatting, and the paperwork took a pause as we simply just talked about life, about travel, about the dangers of what I was doing, about the likelihood of my mother being very afraid for what I'm doing, which is very humorous in contrast to this woman, who's about the same age as my mother, being very excited about what I'm doing. Even though she admits she could understand if it were her own son doing it, she would probably feel the same way as my own mother. But not being my mother gave her the opportunity to be excited about what I was doing, because she doesn't care if I die. Well, it's not really like that, but you know what I mean. Eventually, we finished the paperwork and we began the climb up the stairs to my room. She led me down the hallway, past my actual room, and told me that she would give me an upgrade for free because she was so impressed with my verbiage, with my verb usage, and the correct conjugation of past tense and subjunctive that she wanted to give me an upgrade. She giggled as I said thank you so much for my upgrade and that she was the first person to ever compliment my conjugation of verbs in Spanish and went back downstairs. Later I went to a cafe nearby in the center and worked for a few hours, ate some food, had a delicious iced coffee that was far too expensive, got a lot done on my laptop, and came back around 8 or 9 p.m. And there were the hotel owner and her husband sitting on the steps of the hotel waiting for me. Because to park my bike I would need to ride down the street to a separate house, open the gate, and put it in. And they knew that so they had waited for me. We chatted for a little while, talked about the tires I had chosen and why I had chosen them, being very agresivo, they told me. I told them it was because about 10% of the ride was going to be rough roads and unpredictable roads, and therefore I needed to be ready for them, especially if mud and rain became a factor, because I've seen too many videos of people stuck because their tires are made for highways, not for off-road. We also talked about the size of the motor of the engine of the bike, which is extremely uncommon here in Central America, where most bikes are 100cc, 125cc, maybe 250cc. Mine being 650cc makes it a giant among normal-sized little motos. 
Finally, she asked if she could take a picture of me, a regular occurrence, which makes me wonder how many pictures are floating around Central America of the crazy gringo with the ever-enlarging beard and the dirty stains on his shirt and the crazy hair and the happy look in his eye. After taking the picture, I followed the husband of the owner of the hotel in his car down a few streets, parked my motorcycle in a place where I hope it will be tomorrow morning, rode back with him in his car as we talked about life, as we talked about what I studied in school, as we talked about their own children, arrived back at the hotel, wished them a good night, and came up to my quiet little upgraded hotel room. There is no denying that the severity of the danger that I am accepting in this trip is major and is in fact over and above any danger that any person must or need take on. But I believe it is crucial, and I believe it is an essential aspect of this trip and of anything worth doing in life to get a full perspective, to get a full and balanced view and understanding of what it is you're doing. It is true that there is an exceptional amount of danger to what I am doing, perhaps too much danger. Perhaps this is foolish for everyone. Perhaps this is foolish for some. Perhaps this is foolish for me. Perhaps it isn't. But to acknowledge that there is danger is good. To omit that there is beauty, to omit that there are marvelous things, to omit that there are some of the most touching moments that you will ever have shared with people along the way on a trip like this, is to lie. Lie to oneself and lie to the world around you. To exclusively focus on fear in any given situation is to lie to yourself. To exclusively focus on the bad things that could happen and not on the wonderful things that could happen is to treat your life unfairly, it is to treat yourself unfairly, it is to live unbalanced, it is to live half of life. I cherish and hold so closely, so dearly, and so importantly, all of the stories that I can remember, all of the moments that I can remember from my trip so far, because they are the other half of the absolute shittiness that is this trip some of the time. There is no denying that some of the days on this trip are the hardest of my life, are the worst of my life, are the most dangerous of my life. Days when my physical well-being is in danger. Days when my things are in danger of being stolen, broken, hurt, robbed, taken away from me. Days when I am sure that I am doing the wrong thing as a product of how foolishly dangerous so many of the situations I'm exposing myself to are. And therefore, I must remind myself of the other half of life, of the other half of any situation in life, which is the beauty, which is the kindness, which is the humanity, which is the sameness and the connection that you can share with a 78-year-old, shotgun-toting, barely audible, Spanish-broken-English-speaking gentleman in a gas station in the middle of Nicaragua, where you stopped to use the restroom and have a drink. Those moments must be a part of the way that I see life or else I won't move another step forward. Those moments must be part of the point of moving forward or else I will not have the motivation to take another step forward in the face of fear, in the face of defeat, in the face of calamity. We can't stop the bad things from happening. We can only choose to broaden our perspective to include the beautiful things that also happen. Nice. I am crying and nobody can hear me because I am terribly, terribly, 
terribly alone. Goodbye, my lover. Goodbye, my friend.